Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. No, I don't hate the 308 Winchester. I just like to put it in perspective. Whether you like it or not, you have solidified yourself as, you know what, I, I think it's not fair. And that's a good point. A lot of people harp on that one, and I probably don't pay it enough attention because... What makes a cartridge good, bad, or indifferent compared to other ones? Everybody has copper bullets these days because they work. Uh, to win friends and influence people and get your point across, probably try to not tell them they're full of crap. Well, we'll see how long Cubby lasts. She's been on injured reserve here for a while, but she's getting much better. We'll just see how long she lasts. Were you going to answer any of the questions, Covey? Are you going to leave that all up to me again? Yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> hey, guys, we heard from our patron. I've been uh, trading notes here with Jonathan, and he says, uh, I went to Hammer's website, and they actually have a lot of in-stock inventory compared to other manufacturers. I appreciate that they provide load data, too, which is uh, going to be my next question. I have resisted the all-copper bullets, much as I did the 7mm cartridges for years. But let me tell you, I took a new Remington 700 in 7mm 08 to the range last week, and I had superb results. Installed a Bell & Carlson stock, a Trigger Tech Trigger, and a Loophole 3 HD scope on steel immediately after getting my velocities confirmed and I plugged it into my ballistics calculator while well, out to 550 yards. It was a real pleasure to shoot and mild-mannered using 140-grain Nosler Acubon. I harvested uh, Red Sag in Hungary, Mouflon and Chamois in the Alps, and Boron Roadier in Poland with all mono-copper bullets, and I never lost an animal. Just never could get the tightest groups as I could attain with their leaded bullets. So, sounds like he's getting some success here. I wrote back, Jonathan, I'm betting you get some small groups with those hammer bullets. I always have. You might be suffering from the foul barrel syndrome. It seems that all coppers never really group well when they're fired through barrels that have already been fouled with gilding metal jacketed bullets. So clean your bore down to bare metal and then shoot the coppers and stick with them. Uh, don't interchange willy-nilly. See if that helps. Also, expect hammers to shoot significantly faster than other bullets of the same weight without showing pressure signs. Um, exactly why that happens, I don't know, but I think it's because of the minimal bearing surface on the shanks of those hammer bullets. It's always worked for me that way. So good luck with that, Jonathan. Here's something from Jeremy. Hey, Ron, it seems my original philosophical comment was just in time. Once again, we really enjoyed your latest podcast from last night. The subject matter specific to human expansion, conservation, public private land, etc. And how all that relates to hunting. It is just some good stuff and it's important. So keep up the good work. Whether you like it or not, you have solidified yourself as sort of an ambassador. Anyway, I'm sure um, someone has asked this before, but I'm curious as to what would be the one animal and geography you would choose to hunt if you could only hunt one animal for the rest of your life. 
It's a silly question, I agree, but it would uh, enlighten us as to what your favorite hunt would be. Thanks again for your time. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> well, Jeremy, as for my favorite hunt and animal, I truly can't decide. I love it all. It, it's more about the terrain and the habitat for me than it is the species. The wilder, the better. Now, uh, day hunts from the farmer cabin are quite satisfying too. And I think Cubby would agree with that because she's not going backpack hunting <laughs> into the Brooks range with me for sheep. So I suppose if you pinned me down, I would have to go with white tails for my big game animal and ring-necked pheasants for upland birds. I think Cubby agrees with that. You like the pheasants best? Yeah, I do. I like the pheasants best. I like pheasants best. Oh, you look mean. <laughs> Good girl. Oh, thanks for your support, Jeremy. All right. Now, we've gotten, uh, gosh, a lot of folks writing in about the 308 Winchester and what I keep saying about it and uh, a few other things. So let's just dive into some of those. These were mostly pulled off of the comment section um, of YouTube and also letters that folks send in when they go to ronspomeroutdoors.com website. So this is from Fred. Ron, I feel compelled to respond to the concerns regarding the loss of hunting land. While it's true that more and more properties are being posted, one of the driving forces behind that is the modern day irresponsible hunter. Similar to what's happening in our society, there's just this profound lack of respect and etiquette by many. Their only concern seems to be killing their deer. Respect for property and fellow hunters in the game is sorely lacking. Yeah, Fred, I think I'd have to agree that that's part of the problem. But you know what's interesting? Having been in this game since uh, the 1960s, we were complaining about slob hunters, would be called them back then, all along. You know, there have always been people who just don't respect others or property and they take advantage of it. And they're just, I don't know how you're ever going to cure that. Whether or not it's worse today than it was back then, I don't know. I think. One thing about hunting is that we do seem to have a cadre of really more serious hunters, fewer of the casual hunters. And part of that reason, I think, is because it's more uh, expensive to hunt, takes more effort to get out and away. Uh, so the, the folks who really stick with it, I think, are really serious about it. And they tend to be, I think, behaving themselves a lot better than they did 40, 50 years ago. That's just been my observation. But good point, and And we do really all need to play the game properly and behave ourselves and treat everybody else with respect and all the rest of that. That's just, just basic common sense. Oh, by the way, for those of you who are just listening on the podcast, you might want to check the YouTube channel to see Cubby. Uh, we're really proud of her. No, through no fault of ours. She's just one good looking pup and, and folks seem to really like her. You're getting a little cocky up there, Cubby. A little proud of yourself. <laughs> You're a good dog. Okay, let's see. This is from Jan. He says, you are right. 50 years ago, as farm kids, we hunted all the time. Now kids would rather play video games. Boy, Jan, I think you've hit one right there on the head. This really has made a difference. And it's not just the the internet and the games and everything down on computers, but I think that's part and parcel of our urban lifestyle. There's so few people live rurally now. It's just difficult to get away. If you're a kid living in some big suburb, how do you get out to the country? When I was a boy in a small town, not only did I have aunts and uncles and grandparents with farms nearby, but I could simply walk out of this little town that I lived in and start hunting. So it's getting tough to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, you're right. The distractions from all these video games and, and social media sites really hurts. And that's, I think, where we can play a big role as parents and grandparents is to get those kids away, show them some real adventure and get started young. I just love these parents who take their kids out when they're still infants, throw them in a backpack and go out hiking with them and then take them to hunting camp and get them involved in making campfires and putting up the tent. All of this stuff. Kids absolutely love that. And if you get them started early, I think you build it into their character. So even when they hit the teenage years and they fall into the everybody's doing this other stuff, they'll come back to it when they get over that. Seems to be the way it usually works anyway. 
All right, let's see. Now, here's some uh, stuff on the 308 Winchester. I did a video on my Ron Spomer Outdoors channel on comparing it and the 7mm 08 and the 260 Remington. Those, of course, were just neck down versions of the 308. What I wanted to do was show what changes when you keep the same powder volume in a case, but you change the diameter of a bullet. So I go into a lot of detail about the ballistics coefficients of the bullets and the muzzle velocities and what happens downrange to make a point to help us all understand what's going on. Because, well, I just think too many of us are confused about what makes a cartridge good, bad, or indifferent compared to other ones? And a lot of people accuse me of hating the 308 Winchester. No, I don't hate the 308 Winchester. I just like to put it in perspective because so many people, I think, overhype it, similar to the 6.5 Creedmoor. They just overdo it a little bit in their enthusiasm for the cartridge. And while I'm all for folks being enthusiastic about the rifles and cartridges they're shooting, I just think it's it's kind of smart for us all to fully understand what's going on and appreciate the pros and cons of each. So here are some of the responses I got from that latest video. This is Eric. The 308 is not a best cartridge, that's fair, but it will kill a deer at 300 yards? Yes, yes, <laughs> it will, like most calibers. I don't get that obsession with the, well, at a thousand yards, da, da, da. I shoot targets and I hunt, but not with the same guns. It's almost like some guys buy a $200 plus stiletto hammer. It's nice and it's light, but a $10 Stanley, uh, Stanley hammer will drive the nail all the same. Well, you have a point there, Eric, but each of us gets to make our choices. And you're you're right. A lot of folks like the long range target shooting. And I always advocate for that, too. The confusion comes in when they decide they want to apply that to hunting. And it's not that the rifle and the bullet can't do the job at a thousand yards. It's the extreme challenge of making the proper shot. Too many times I've seen even award winning long range target shooters miss their first one, two, or three shots at a thousand yards with their fancy rifle setups until they get everything dialed in and they figure out the wind and all. And then they get on target. But with a game animal, you end up risking wounding shots, which is why we're kind of against that stuff. So some good points there. Now, here's something from Eager. I choose the 308 as my daily hunting rifle because my local store, which is small, has 30 different options in ammunition. I just had a, a look today and they have two options for the 7mm 08 and one of those was out of stock. So how can I reliably expect to walk in on a random Wednesday and be assured I'm going to get ammo for my gun and let alone have 30 options from Sacco and Browning and Fiocchi and etc. I'm sure it's fantastic rifle, the 37mm 08, but reliability and consistency are important to me. And that's a good point. A lot of people harp on that one and I probably don't pay it enough of tension because I'm a hand loader. I can pretty much make custom ammo for whatever I have. But if you're buying off the shelf and you don't like to buy in, in big quantities, you like to buy a box or two every year or something, yeah, you do need to have something in which ammo is available. Um, I just I really don't recommend that anyone wait until the last minute, rush down to the store and hope to pick up a box of ammo. Uh, we, we used to do that back in the 60s and stuff. but the problem you run into is not every brand of ammo, every bullet, et cetera, et cetera, in a certain cartridge is going to shoot the same in your rifle anyway. You really ought to take the time to find the perfect load for both the game you're shooting and the rifle and cartridge and all the rest, and then buy enough of that to have that supply when the opportunity to hunt pops up. You don't want to, you don't want to have a great, say, Remington load and go out and find out when you need to buy ammo, the Remingtons are all sold out and you have to pick up a Fiocchi or somebody else's brand and then it doesn't shoot as well in your rifle. So, but still, for most casual hunters at least, knowing that you've got a lot of options is kind of nice. And the flip side of that, of course, is when you do have these 30 different loads <laughs> that uh, we listed here, you're probably going to have a much better chance of finding one that really works well in your rifle with the kind of bullet you need for the kind of hunting you're doing. So good point. We appreciate that. Now here's one from Soka, Sokato, Sokatoa, strange name here. Ron, what I heard you say was that based on performance and terminal ballistics, past 300 yards, you would choose the 260 Remington. However, based on ammo availability and brand loyalty, you would choose the 308. 
And finally, based on personal bias, you would choose the 7mm 08. Well, I really appreciate your hard work in putting together all these videos. I have benefited greatly from your years of experience, uh, and that's all informed by common sense, reason, and empirical data. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> well, thank you, so Katoa. I really appreciate some recognition on that. So many folks write in and comment that I'm full of it and et cetera, et cetera. And it's almost as if they didn't really watch the entire video and look at the data because I always do just what you say here. I strive to get all the details in there and not mess it up. <laughs> so appreciate somebody noticing. Hmm. Right, see, here's another. Bart says you can find rifles and ammo in 308 much easier than the others. Same point, and it's a good one. And Stephen from SA. Last week I bought Cellier and Balat. Now this is an interesting ammunition company. S E L L I E R and B A L L O T. I would say Cellier and Belot, but I'll bet over in Europe, wherever this stuff comes from, it's Cellier and Belot, perhaps? I don't know. Is it French? Is it Italian? Somebody clue me in here. <laughs> but it's a, it's a brand of ammo that's been around for a long time, and it's highly respected. Makes some good stuff. At any rate, Stephen says, I bought this Cellier and Belot ammo, 180 grain, for my 308, and usually I shoot with Hornady, but I wanted to try something different. Well, according to me, this S&B ammo is the worst ammo I've ever used. Can you recommend a better bullet for my 308? Whew. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know what? I, I think it's not fair to, to try one load from one company and then say, well, the whole thing is worthless ammo because it might just not be working in your rifle. I don't know if you had any issues with terminal performance if you actually shot something. I'm just guessing that you tried it and it was inaccurate and you didn't like it. Um, but that happens a lot with different ammo. Over the years, gosh, with most rifles, I'll find one box brand of ammo that shoots miserably. And I'll think, boy, this rifle sucks. <laughs> and then I switch brands or even stick with the same brand and just switch bullets. And suddenly I'm shooting lights out. So you really do need to just test, as we've been saying, try different things. And as we mentioned, with all the different options in 308, you should find something. Now, as for better bullet, if you actually mean bullet rather than cartridge or brand name and everything, gosh, there's all kinds of great bullets. It's just determined by what you need that bullet to do. Do you need a target bullet? Do you need an elk bullet or a pronghorn bullet or a coyote bullet? Lots of variables to consider. And obviously, with bullets, you look at terminal performance as well as ballistic performance. So look at the, the length and the shape of the bullet to determine how sleek it is and how efficiently it will fly. But then consider what's going to happen when it gets there, because you can have some really aerodynamically efficient bullets that just are not engineered for good terminal performance on large-bodied animals, for instance. So do your homework. Lots of bullets out there. I'm sure you'll find some good ones. There's plenty to pick from. Here's Greg. I think a good argument can be made that the 308 would win on terminal performance due to its size alone. The cross-sectional area of the 308 is 36% greater than the 260. The expanded bullet would likely be larger and would have less of a tendency to fragment after heading heavy bone. This would likely result in a larger wound channel at normal hunting ranges. Well, that's some good thinking, Greg. I'm not sure if it's going to hold true, especially the part about um, less tendency to fragment. Fragmenting is usually a result of the construction of the bullet and its materials. Soft lead core, thin gilding metal jacket, probably going to fragment and break up under pressure, right? Whereas if you have a much thicker jacket or a more malleable copper jacket, less brittle than gilding metal, and uh, say a harder lead core, things are more likely to hold together. And if you go with all copper, there's really nothing to break up. You might shear a pedal off uh, or two, and a few times with some of them, I've actually sheared all the pedals off and still taken the animal because that shank keeps driving forward. So a lot of variables to consider there. But <clears throat> whether or not the larger frontal diameter makes that much difference. I'm always arguing this one, and I really haven't figured it out for myself. You know, I make the argument that if you say have 180 grain bullet and one's 
uh, a 308 diameter and the other one's a 284 or maybe even a 338, although there are not that many 180 grain bullets in 338. But the, the idea is if the bullet's the same weight and you have enough powder to drive it at the same muzzle velocity and then it arrives at the target with more or less the same velocity, thus the same energy, um, why would the one that's wider have a significant difference in terminal effect? And what he's arguing, of course, is that surface area, 36%. But the surface, 36% from a 0.284-inch diameter bullet up to a 308, neither one of those is exactly what you'd call big and wide. It's not a big front there to transfer that energy. And then when it mushrooms, expands, and tumbles sometimes, and or breaks up, all of that energy is still there. It's just what is the bullet's ability to turn that energy into work? Mechanical work. You've got to break down the tissue. So yeah, expanding the surface is going to increase the area, meaning the bullet's going to rip and tear more vital tissue, get more hemorrhaging. That's kind of the whole idea. Um, will the 308 version do more than the 7? Um, I just don't know, guys. You've got more mass behind the nose of the bullet in your seven. It has a higher sectional density. And we're always saying that that's better for penetration. So perhaps you will penetrate farther with the seven millimeter version of that bullet and thusly touch more tissue, break it down more. But maybe the wider front area of the 308 expanded too, and then it stops a little bit sooner, but it reaches more tissue off to the sides. I don't know. I just really don't know. We're, here's what I recommend. <laughs> Choose what works for you. I've had great luck with all sorts of seven millimeters over the years and used them all around the world. I've had great luck with the 300s. I've had pretty darn good similar luck with the 6.5s, although I haven't used them quite as much, but it can all work. Choose your poison. Be careful about that selection and don't get a bias right away after trying one or two things. Just continue to listen, learn, read, try different things and figure it out for yourselves. I don't think there's a one answer fits all. All right. Good one, Greg. Thanks for bringing that up. Del Morris. Mr. Spomer, I am an 85-year-old retired military veteran of 30 years service. Wow. And many tours in combat operations in Vietnam. I've enjoyed most of your commenting and videos on various calibers, but I must take exception to your downgrading the 308. <laughs> I have hunted Wyoming, Colorado, Texas, Nebraska, Alaska using various calibers. I was pleased to own them all. However, the 308 used in military operations is totally outstanding in personnel combat operations. I don't have time to discuss the many times I came out the winner while a 308 was in my hands. Other combat veterans will vouch for my stance. Unless you've been there, you don't have to downgrade a weapon that I used to take out an enemy at over 800 yards in the Navy Special Forces. Wow. So I wrote back, Dell, big howdy, and thank you and respect from me. I cannot imagine many tours through Vietnam combat like that. That's brutal. I'm glad you made it. As for me, I flunked my physical. Couldn't hear well enough. As for downgrading the 308, I do that just to get a rise out of all of our 308 lovers and to draw attention to ballistic realities. The idea is to grab their attention, then show that the 308 really does this, that, and the other thing, and how all of that compares to other cartridges. Even when I show, via the numbers, how a smaller caliber can shoot faster, flatter, with less wind deflection, and sometimes with more retained energy, that doesn't mean the 308 is no good. As many point out, the differences at sensible hunting distances usually don't amount to a mouth size difference at 300 yards. But what we have learned is something about the physical realities of projectiles in motion, whether that matters in the real world of shooting game or defending against enemy invaders, I doubt. But applying those ballistic lessons to our cartridges and bullets begins to yield usable data. P.S. Were I forced to join you in a jungle battle against enemy forces, I would choose a 308 over a 5.56 every time. <laughs> so thanks again, Dell. I hope that if I'm so lucky as to live to 85, I am as sharp and articulate as you are. I wish I could buy you a beer, a burger, a coffee, or a steak dinner. That was great. I really appreciate Dell. 
Okay, let's move on to somebody who probably doesn't have as much uh, veteran skills under his belt. This is just someone called User. Um, not even considering a caliber smaller than 30. 7 mag is good, but 30 out 6 will outkill it. That's capital outkill. Up to 400 yards. 30 out 6 equals 20% more bullet frontal diameter. There we go with the frontal diameter again. And that is the killing part. Past 400 yards, the 7 rem mag is still performing well. I will give it that. So, user is pretty much just bringing up the same topic we just discussed, a wider surface area. And again, if you guys have any kind of proof on how that really makes a major difference, I'd like to hear it. But until then, okay. Oh, hey, I wrote him back. I forgot that. I wrote him back and I said, hey, user, can you provide any kind of a standard measurement, some kind of a metric to prove your point? It sounds good, but how does it work? If you shape 180 grains of copper and lead inside of a 308-inch diameter bullet and another in a 0.284-inch diameter, you're still hitting your game with 180 grains that will expand, flatten, warp, tumble, and tear tissue. If both stop against the far side, well, they've dumped all their energy. So what is it about the shorter but 20% wider one that makes it more effective? That is a question for which I have never found an answer. All right, uh, Justin, Ron, you're full of crap. Oops. <laughs> Rim fires were used prior to center fires, 22, 25, and 32 caliber rim fires, which was the inspiration for the 30 Remington. Whew. Well, Justin, I don't know where you got the idea that I uh, I said that center fires came before rim fires. I, I, I don't know. This one kind of blows me away, so I'm not exactly sure what you're referencing, but you are correct that there were many um many rim fires and many more than you've mentioned here 22 was the start the 22 short by smith and wesson was the first rim fire cartridge in fact it was the first if you don't count the flow bears bb cap it was the first uh all metallic cartridge in the world really certainly in the u.s and that was around the old 1915 1857 i think smith and wesson came up with that they called it the 22 short they took a muzzle loader cap they extended it a little bit put a little bit of black powder in there, put the primer in the rim and put it in a, in a revolver. One of their first revolvers, it was a seven shot, 22 short. They called it 22 short. That started the rim fires. Of course, then everybody upsized it. And we got the 44 Henry flat in 1860. That was in the original Henry rifle lever action. There was the 56, 56 uh, Spencer and the Spencer lever action rifle. That's one that loaded from a tubular magazine in the butt rather than up in front under the barrel. And then all kinds of other ones. I mean, just all heck broke loose once this metallic cartridge came along. And they made them not just in your 25 and 32 calibers, but the 40s and 45s and 48s and 44s and 50, 55. I think they got up to 58 caliber. And they were all rim fires. But they all went out of fashion once they invented the center fire in about 1873. That's when the 4570 center fire government cartridge came out, and it's where the 4440 Winchester came out. And uh, the center fires, you could load those to higher pressures because there was enough copper wall in the back of those to withstand the higher pressures, whereas the rim fires had to be kept really thin so that the, the uh, firing pin could squeeze it against the breech to ignite that primer. And then that weakened it, and it could have blown out there. So thanks for bringing up all the rim fires. Yes, they were a whole bunch of them, but a little hint here for you, Justin, uh, to win friends and influence people and get your point across, probably try to not tell them they're full of crap. <laughs> okay. Coos deer always seemed like the mysterious miniature whitetail of the Southwest. This is what Kurt said. Kurt dog is his title. Coos deer, cows deer for some of you. This is that little white-tailed deer of Mexico and southern Arizona, high up in the mountains. It's a real interesting little animal. And it is a white-tailed deer. It's just miniaturized because it got isolated in some high mountains in the southwest when things started drying up, and it turned to desert all around there. Well, they couldn't make it in the desert, but they stayed high enough to where the transpiration loss of moisture wasn't so bad that you couldn't keep some of the trees that they were used to living with, primarily oaks. So if you've got oak trees up that high, then you're going to have these coos deer named after Elliot Cowes, a surgeon with the U.S. military and a naturalist and a birder back in the 1860s or 70s or so. 
And he pronounced his name Cows, but everybody looks at the spelling C-O-U-E-S and says Coos. So I've given up on saying Cows, dear, because when I do that, people wonder if I'm talking about a Hereford or, or an Angus or what. <laughs> but they are the miniature white-tailed deer of the Southwest. You betcha, Kurt. All right. Well, let's put these away and go to some of the questions that the team has pulled up before we run out of time here. And what have they got for us today? Dustin from Florida. Ron, I want to build an ultralight deer hunting rifle that weighs under six pounds. Good idea. I have everything figured out except what cartridge I want it chambered in. I want something that is fairly low recoiling, but still powerful enough to take down the deer and hogs I encounter in the woods. Any recommendations? Boy, Dustin, you're, you're singing my song here. I love lightweight rifles, and I've had many of them over the years. One of my favorites, absolute favorites, is the 284 Winchester, shooting 140, 150 grain bullet. And that's going to have recoil quite similar to the 270 Winchester. So if you can handle that, that's your baby. Short action, a fatter than usual cartridge, just a half inch in diameter, as opposed to the 7mm 08, which is real close to it in performance, but it's a little less powder in that one. That's based off the 308, obviously. Both of those are great choices, but even less recoil. Step down to the 260 Remington, which is the same thing, the 308 neck down to 26 caliber. So you'll be shooting some little bit longer and more aerodynamically efficient bullets. If you need to reach out a little bit further, they'll help a little bit. Um, gosh, and there's just so many other good ones out there. Depending on how narrow you want to go, you want to go down to a 24 caliber, you got your 243. These days, a six millimeter Creedmoor. Uh, if you want to go up a little bit, you've got your 25 25 on six. Now, I don't know if you're working with a short action here or a standard length action, but if you're standard length, 25 on six is a pretty hot little round. Uh, and well, let me think once. Hmm, low recoiling. I wonder if you might want to try a 338 Federal. You're going to have to hand load for that one. It's a great cartridge, 308 necked up. But it just never took off, and I'm afraid it's dying on the vine if it's not already gone. So you'll have to hand look for that one. But boy, easy to make. You just take a 308, you neck it up, expand that neck to take the 338 bullet, and you can get some really good thump on a hog with that. And the next one up is the 358 Winchester. That's not real common or popular either, but well, you don't need to know which rifle is chambered in because you're making your own. So it's one to consider. Gosh, what else is out there? Uh, that's about it. I don't think you want to go any larger than that with, say, the WSMs or the SOM cases and work on anything. I'd take a hard look at that 708 or even the 308. You can certainly go with that. You're going to have a little more recoil with that one because generally you'll be shooting 150 to 180 grain bullets in it. But as everyone's been pointing out, <laughs> you've got a lot more options in, in factory loaded ammunition. So if you're not a hand loader, that might be the route to go. Uh, good luck with that one, but boy, I would sure love to see you make it in a 284 Winchester. I just love that thing. All right, Cecil from California. Are they making the law action, legendary arms works action? I have emailed them several times and no one has returned a message. I would like to build a 375 H&H on their action with some controlled round feet. Yeah, that is a great little action. I've used it several times and test fired several of their rifles over the years. The last I heard, they had quit building complete rifles and were only selling the actions to gunsmiths. So I would assume they're still doing it. The last contact I had for a place to find them was... Uh, Trop or Trope Gun Shop in Pennsylvania. Look up T-R-O-P. Can't remember if it's spelled with an E on the end or not, but it looks like Trop. Maybe it's T-R-O-P-P. And I think they were selling those. So you might be able to run them down um, by checking on a Google search or something. So good luck with that. I hope you can find it. It is a great action with controlled round feet. Okay, this looks like uh, Yanez is from Slovenia, J-A-N-E-Z. So I would say it's probably pronounced Yanez over there. Hello from the other side of the pond. Hello, Yanez, how you doing? First, bear with me because I would like to explain the conditions in which I'm hunting. The distance is small, maximum to 100 meters, and there is a lot of brush and obstacles that can alter your shot. Our hunting ground contains red deer, roe deer, wild boars, bears, and so on. 
In short, it's a lot of different game. So far, I've been using the Cellular and Balot. There we go again. <laughs> um, 12.7 gram bullet in the old, but still very effective 8x57JS or IS. That's the infantry standard cartridge for the German military that was used in World War II. And I have been quite successful because of all the animals that I've decided to take. None has gone very far after the shot. Stag, five meters, wild boar, 30 meters, roebuck, 30 meters, that sort of thing. That said, I have been very picky with my shots because of the soft bullet and therefore missed quite a few chances uh, due to some twigs or leaves that were in the way. Therefore, I decided to change my ammo. Now comes the question, are the monolithic bullets suitable for hunting in these kinds of conditions and in general for this caliber? Will I be able to shoot through some small brush if I don't overdo it? Is this caliber maybe too slow for these kinds of bullets? Or should I just stick to the tried and tested lead core bullets like the RWS ID Classic, the old TIG bullet uh, that many of the older hunters used to use with great success? I uh, would not use if it's not for the fragmenting lead that spoils some of the meat. I hope that my question doesn't sound too confusing and that you forgive me for some potential spelling mistakes. Looking forward to your future videos on both channels. And I wish you all the best, Yanez. Yanez, your English is better than 90% of the other comments we get here all the time. This is remarkable. <laughs> you have obviously studied well and applied what you learned. So no confusion there. Now, the 8x57... You know, you're going to have great luck with those monolithic bullets. I can't think of a an all-copper bullet with a hollow nose that's not going to open up at the energies from that 8x57. Just should be outstanding. I have always had great luck with the Barnes Original, the TSX, the TTSX, the LRX. All of them have worked wonderfully for me. And at 100 meters, even out to 200 meters, you're going to have plenty of velocity to open those up dramatically. Now, they'll span those pedals and really create a big surface area. And a little bit of spinning from the twist rate is causing a little more damage out to the sides. I always think, don't have absolute proof on it, but pin those pedals come back bent. If you ever find a spent bullet, they're gonna have a twist to them. It's obviously twisted when it was touching the meat and the tissues and stuff. And let's see, what else can I tell you about it? Boy, inside of 100 yards, you're going to have so much velocity and energy left. You're going to get dramatic results and deep, deep penetration. So be prepared to have your shots go through on broadside. If you have to take a north to south kind of a shot, especially at something like a running hog, you're probably going to end up parking it up here in the front of the shoulder or the brisket or someplace like that. I've just, gosh, I remember one time in Australia, I shot a feral pig from the back as it was going away through the brush and golly i think i took out four or five vertebrae in the back and then it's got through where the dips down into the neck a little bit came under the skin and got into the head and came out and lodged against the nose <laughs> that's incredible penetration out of a it was a 140 grain bullet out of a 270 wsm impressive stuff and as for shooting through brush yeah that bullet's going to stick together and shoot through brush but you will get deflection as you do with any bullet this idea that bullets are going to be plowing through the brush like a caterpillar or something is kind of silly everything deflects when it gets a little bit of tension against one side or the other i mean that's why bullets deflect in the wind just the air itself moves them to one side or another if they're not balanced properly so yeah you're going to plow through some light brush and stuff what i always do when i'm thinking about can i shoot through these leaves or branches how close are those to the animal if the animal is right up against them there's not a lot of room for that bullet to deflect off course very much and of course the bullet's going to break through initially i have shot a couple of times in finishing off wounded animals through a lot of brush and the bullets have gotten through sometimes they get through going sideways <laughs> <laughs> and they're pretty warped and mangled by the time they get there. But there's a lot of energy in a good solid bullet like that. And these coppers will hang together. This doesn't mean I'm advocating that you go shooting willy-nilly through a whole bunch of brush and branches hoping it's going to get there. As you said, it's just going to be a light little skiff of, of leaves and tiny limbs or something. You should be all okay. I can just really recommend those kinds of bullets. And there's so many. I don't know what you all have over in Europe. But we have over here cutting edge bullets and Badlands bullets and hammer bullets and CX bullets and Winchester has copper bullets and Federal has copper bullets and, and Remington has copper bullets and Nosler has copper bullets. Everybody has copper bullets these days because they work. So good luck trying those. All the best of 
luck to you, John is. Thanks for writing in, by the way, and thanks for listening and watching. Really appreciate it. All right, Charles from Mississippi. Ron, I recently acquired a 270 Weatherby Magnum from a longtime hunting friend. It's more of a sentimental piece than anything. I purchased some 117 grain hammer hunters to try. Well, my question is, will that 117 grains be enough for big game like elk? I know the velocity will be tremendous, but not sure if the increasing grain will benefit more in penetration for bigger game. I'm a longtime viewer and respect your opinions. I'm going to say, yes, I haven't had any experience with a 170 grain bullet in a 270 Weatherby Magnum from Hammer. But based on the bullets that I have tried in different rifles from Hammer, you're going to do just fine on elk with that one. I've taken elk with any number of calibers and bullets over the years. And I just know based on what I've seen done with these all copper bullets and especially the hammers and the way they've been working for me in Africa, you're going to do really well with them in a 270 Weatherby Magnum. So best of luck to you. Let me know how things go, but I'm uh, betting on those bullets. Anthony from California, he's hunting the high Sierras. He's up at 5,500 feet for black bear, generally with a 30-06 loading with 168 grain tipped triple shock. This particular rifle is an early 2000s Browning white gold medallion. And as much as I enjoy it, the inevitability of dings and scratches through field use makes me anxious. I know they're meant to be used, but it's just such an elegant rifle. Well, I've just, just I've developed an itch to build up a new bear gun, something more rugged that I don't have to worry about so much. And unique. I happen to have a 1942 Yugo Mauser that I'm somewhat open to rebarreling as borderizing in its native 8mm. I've also considered purchasing a, a used long-action rifle to rebarrel the 35 Whalen. That's a good one. A final option would be to rebarrel one of my Tika WSMs to 325 WSM. That's another good one. As you know, shot placement on bears is critical. Depending on the species and time of year, you could be dealing with a lot of fat and hair, and that hinders blood loss and your ability to track a hit animal. That being the case, larger entrance and exit holes are always better. Here are some other considerations. California is lead-free. So I need to maintain adequate velocity out to 300 yards for expansion. I really don't want to move up to a 338 wind mag because of recoil cost and uh, practicality. I do reload, but component availability can be spotty, especially magnum rifle primers. <laughs> Everybody's complaining about that these days. I would love to hear your thoughts and see a ballistic comparison for copper bullets in 8mm Mauser, 35 Whalen, and 325 WSM. I know this will be the winner, but I'm curious how much practicality I'd be gaining. Thanks in advance. Really appreciate your comment. Okay. Oh, boy. This is a tough one, Anthony. Any of those are going to work. Um, and I, I love the idea of the 35 Wayland. It's just such a classic. But that, that 325 WSM is kind of a sleeper. I used that one or two falls for a lot of the TV shows I was doing back then. And I was really impressed with what it was doing. Caribou and moose and bears and just all sorts of stuff. So you've got a 33 caliber bullet with that one rather than a 338. You get up 200 grains, maybe some fine, some 225s or something. Plenty of bullet there. Um, and in your coppers, obviously, you're going to be a little bit lighter, but Barnes makes some good ones. Um, I'm sure Hammer makes some good ones. I haven't checked cutting edge for that caliber yet, but... I, I agree with you. I think that's probably what you want to roll with. Um, the 8mm Mauser, same size bullet. Um, and you're going to be, what are you going to be looking at with that? You know, a little bit slower than the 30 out 6. So out to 300 yards, pushing probably a 180 grain bullet. I think you should have more than enough energy left in that bullet to open those, those uh, copper bullets. Yeah, I, I don't think you really need to worry about expansion on any of those. So, gosh, go go with what you like. I think that 325 WSM I would be looking at pretty hard. So, gosh, good luck to you. Let us know what you build and how it works out for you. Looks like a good project. Alan from Missouri. Hello, Ron. I'm a huge fan of all your content. I find that you to be very relatable and likable. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Alan. 
Your podcast and videos are very enjoyable and useful, and I always enjoy your question and answer podcasts. But I also like it when you read your old articles. I need to get back to doing some of that, Alan. I keep thinking about it before I do these videos, but not in time to get the materials out so I can actually read it. Anyway, I would really appreciate your opinion on a rifle that I'm wanting to put together. I know that you're familiar with new ultralight arms. Uh, around 20 years ago, Melvin Forbes sold his original company to Colt. Colt produced an identical action and used good barrels, but the stock and some of the other parts suffered greatly, and the project only lasted a short time. Since then, new ultralight arms has offered a series of upgrades to the Colt light rifles uh, to basically make them a poor man's NULA, NULA, new ultralight arms. With what they charge for upgrades and the average price of picking up a Colt, you generally have less than 50% of what a NULA was costing before they sold out to Wilson Combat last year. Boy, this is a convoluted history, but you know it well. I already own one of these rifles in 270 Winchester, and it's a great shooter. I mainly hunt whitetails in the Missouri Ozarks. Most shots are inside of 200 yards with the occasional opportunity in some fields out to my limit of 450, maybe 500 yards. I know my 270 is plenty capable for that, but I would like to, to do some Western hunting at some point, including pronghorn, mule deer, and elk, and keep that 500-yard range possible. Again, I'm sure my 270 would be fine for all of that, with the possible exception of the longer shots on elk. I can pick up a Colt donor rifle to get upgraded to 30-06 or 7-rim mag. They also make 300 wind mags, but I don't think I want a 300 wind mag. Uh, I've been planning to go with a 30-06, but the more I think about it and learn, it seems like maybe that 7-rem mag would be a better option. I already own rifles in both chamberings, so keeping ammo and components on hand will be the same either way. Oh, all that said, to simply ask your opinion, which cartridge would you go with in this rifle for what I'm wanting to do? Thanks for your time. Okay. Oh, man. I think as most folks who follow me, religiously will guess I'm going to recommend the 7 rim mag. Nothing against the 30 6 It's a great do-it-all cartridge, and I've used it a lot. But if you want to reach out a little bit further, minimize your wind deflection and your drops, the 7 rim mag gives you the advantage. You can go down as light as 140 grain bullets, even 120 grain bullets in the all-coppers, and get good performance on elk out to three, maybe 400 yards. I haven't tried that far with one on an elk, but Heavier bullets, definitely. I would run with, say, 150 grain. And if I was really concerned about impact energies and such, I might go with a 165 grain bullet in a 7 rem mag with the copper bullets. Um, but plenty of, of good lead core bullets in the controlled expansion formats that'll work for you too. But yeah, I think the 7 rem mag, I've always said that's, to me, it's the perfect all-around if you like to do a little bit longer shooting. I would take the 30-06 for my all-around rifle inside of 400 yards, jump to the 7 for inside of 500 yards. A little better performance even at 400 with it, but either way, it's, it's pretty close to a wash on both of those. So that's my recommendation. All right, now finally we hear from Chris in the United Kingdom. Ron, I always enjoy your content. On your many travels, have you ever shot a .557 Nitro Express? Maybe on some big or dangerous game hunts? And what are your thoughts on these big thumping calibers? Are they really needed, especially if a 22 long rifle can take down an elephant? Ha <laughs> ha. Bullet placement, bullet placement, bullet placement. And of course, Chris is right. Bullet placement can do the trick as this one supposed elephant harvest with a 22 long rifle proved <laughs> supposedly this happened with a local in africa went out in the garden with raiding elephants to scare them off and supposedly took a plinking shot with a 22 long rifle hit just the right spot and bled out this elephant i don't know if it's true or not but 22 long rifles have been documented taking out some really big animals including polar bears nobody wants to believe that either but that's what they claim i've seen some images that suggest this would happen but um, but the 557 Nitro Express, I would love to shoot when haven't had an opportunity. All of those big thumpers are a combination of imaginary need and desire and macho. I like to shoot a big thumper, I think, but probably some pretty good. Uh, I don't want to get stomped by a raging buffalo, so I want the biggest I can handle <laughs> to stop the charge. I have often said that there's no such thing as a stopping rifle or stopping cartridge. 
because I read way too many times that the professional PHs over there, as well as their clients, will shoot a, a rampaging buffalo six, eight, ten times with these super-sized cartridges that are supposed to be stopping rifles, and that animal will just keep coming, keep coming, and often stomp and gore somebody with that many holes in it from that, those big, big cartridges. And that's why I say they're not stopping cartridges. You're eventually going to take out the animal from hemorrhaging and the usual thing. But unless you hit a major structural bone to put the animal down or the central nervous system, you can shoot those lungs and, and the heart and everything else many, many, many times. That animal is running on adrenaline. I've seen it and they can just keep coming. So it's not a stopping rifle. But at the same time, if it were me standing in front of that charge, I would want as big a bullet as I could <laughs> throw accurately into the animal. Um, I'd like to say I would take, well, for instance, Bell, the famous Caramojo Bell and his 757 Mauser shooting 173 grain round nose military bullets at elephants. And he took 800 of them and he supposedly averaged one and a half shots per elephant. What was he doing? Shooting this right spot, man. Bullet placement. He was hitting the brain. He had studied the anatomy of these elephants and knew exactly where to put the bullet from any angle, whether it was walking away, sideways, quartering, frontal, whatever. He could put the bullet into the brain, which is quite an accomplishment. And that, I think, was the skill you'd want to have. But short of that ability, wouldn't mind having a bigger bullet. <laughs> so that's kind of my take on the big thumpers. Now, I've enjoyed shooting some big thumpers. 470 Nitro Express, 458 Lot. Um, I think those are probably the big. Oh, 505 Gibbs I once shot. Um, and they're fun for the first shot or two, which is usually what you do if you're hunting. It's not like you're shooting 20, 30 times. I did once shoot a 416 for 20 shots in a row on, on water jugs, little milk cartons full, just to watch them explode and stuff and challenge myself to whether I could hit them. And I was having a good time until that 20th shot, and I realized I was getting a headache. <laughs> it's cumulative. So that's my take on the big boars. They're, they're fun to play around with. I don't think they're absolutely necessary, but I'm not going to second guess a professional hunter whose life and client's lives depend on him stopping a charging big animal. So more power to you if you're shooting a 557 Nitro Express. And if you have one and you'd like me to shoot it, let me know because I would love the opportunity. All right. Whew, those are our questions for today. And now it is time for our comment of the week. And that signals our comment of the week. And it is Dell, our 85-year-old military veteran. We really appreciate your comments and your service. Thank you so much, sir. Hats off to you and all the other servicemen and women who have helped defend our country and freedom around the world. We really appreciate it. And that's why we're giving you a ding from our freedom bell. Hey, thanks to everyone for your comments, your questions, your answers, and your tirades, <laughs> and, and everything else. We appreciate all of it. Thanks for writing in. We'll see you next time. Hunt honest and shoot straight.